0: would to Matthew chapter 7, where we left off the last time, and we'll begin reading with verse 13. Don't really know how far we're going to get, so I'm only going to read a couple verses for now and see where God leads us in this particular study this morning. But in John, or rather Matthew, chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we know that You have made a way, the way, and that way is Jesus Christ, Himself. He identified Himself clearly to His disciples. I am the way, the life, and the truth. No man comes to the Father but by Me. So that way, Lord God, is already defined for us, and we know it to be true, Lord, because it's Your Word that tells us so. So now we lift up our voice to You, Lord God, and we ask that You would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church here this morning in this place as we study this precious Word, Lord God. Let Your name be glorified in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. What Jesus is doing is He's setting two contrasting ideas together here. A wide way, a narrow way. A narrow gate a wide gate. And he's making a distinction between these two because he wants everyone to know that there is a choice that everyone must make. You either choose to go on one road or you choose to go on the other road. They don't intersect. They don't run together to the same destination. Although I suppose you could say in a sense, you know, there's a lot of people who are arguing this fact. They think it's a fact. All roads lead to God, they say. Well, there's only a small sense in which that can be true. And there is going to be a time when every road that goes in all other directions will ultimately lead to God, but the consequences of being on those roads as opposed to the road that Jesus wants us to be on are so far beyond logic of those who think otherwise. Their logic isn't logical at all. They say all roads lead to God. Well, again, the only reason that that is true is because the Word of God says that everyone is going to stand before God someday and confess Jesus as Lord. For those of us who believe, that's a good thing. For those who have taken the wrong road, they ultimately will stand before God, but it's not to be... Receiving God's favor is to be receiving God's judgment. Yes, they will ultimately find themselves in that place where they will stand before God, but it's not what they should have chosen. Jesus is making it very, very clear. That way leads to destruction, this way leads to eternal life. Few there be that find it, many there be that are on this other road. It's wide, it's got all kinds of attractions. It may be those things that attract those people who are on that road would be things of the world that attract them. Pleasure. Wealth. All kinds of things can draw people away from going through that narrow gate. But if they choose to go on that road, they'll find that it doesn't satisfy. Sin is pleasurable, Peter says, but it's only for a season. But it's not only those who seek pleasure and prosperity and well-being that are on that road, that disregard the commands of God, that disregard the promises of God, that disregard the warnings of God to not go down that path, they still choose that path. And it's not just the world, it's religions of the world. Because Jesus said, those religions of the world are not going to result in salvation of your soul. There's only one religion where God has communicated to man what man must do. There's only one religion in the world where God has actually provided a way for man to come into His presence. All other religions insist upon man doing something for God. Christianity says, God has done something for man, and no other religion does that. No other religion provides that way. And so when Jesus says, there is only one way, those who say, well, that's narrow, the answer to that is, yes, that is narrow. But why do you think God should even need to provide any way? I'm surprised at that. You know, we have a way. He didn't have to provide that way. He didn't have to bring His Son to the place of dying for us on that cross. But He did so. He provided a way. And it is narrow. Intentionally so. The gate is hard to get through. It it requires a little bit of effort to get through that narrow gate. But once you're there, you're on the road. And the road is definitely a narrow pathway. But it's the right pathway to God, to His favor, to His blessing, to His love. Jesus said, Look, that's where you need to do. You need to enter the narrow gate. So, this gate that He's talking about is at the beginning of our journey. You go through the gate, and then you're on the way to salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. That narrow gate leads to salvation. And it's the only way that you can attain that which God chose to give to mankind. It is the way that leads to life. And I'm convinced when Jesus says, many are they who take the other road, and few there be that take the narrow way, that every one of us ought to be very, very concerned about All of our friends, all of our relatives, all of our fellow employees, all of our neighbors, every one of those who have chosen some other path need to be made aware of the fact that they're going in the wrong direction and it leads to destruction. How do we approach that? What do we do to help them? Well, first of all, we need to be praying for them and we need to be willing to be used by the Lord as He leads Our men's breakfast yesterday, we were actually looking at something very similar to what we're talking about here this morning, and I want to bring that to your attention as we continue in our study in the Matthew's Gospel. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. Chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation are where Jesus speaks to the churches. He writes seven letters through the hand of John, the apostle. And each of those seven letters to these seven churches have a specific thing that Jesus wants to share with regard to himself and with regard to their condition. Well, the seventh churches are all in the area now occupied by Turkey. One of those churches, the sixth in the list of seven, is Philadelphia. The church at Philadelphia is the one of two churches where God shows no condemnation. Jesus does not have a negative thing to say about the church at Philadelphia, nor does he about the church at Smyrna. But here we're looking at the church of Philadelphia, and he says this To the church, or the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write these things, say, says, He who is holy, He who is true, He who has the key of David, He who opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. You keep my word, and you've not denied my name." There are three things that Jesus is commending this church for. The first is that they have a little strength. That's commendable. He doesn't say you're strong. He doesn't say you're greatly strong. You are little strength. Just a little strength. Jesus is very happy to see that. They're not a great, magnificent church. Philadelphia was a smaller community compared to the others that he addresses in these letters. But they had something that most of the other churches didn't have. They had a little strength. And that was what Jesus was observing. I know your works. You're doing good things, and you're not corrupting yourselves by... Whatever the other churches might have been doing, you're not doing those things. Your little strength is a very, very important aspect of what pleases the Lord. A little strength. And then he says, not only is that you have a little strength, but you also have kept my word. Oh, people of God, the word of God should be to all of us a very precious thing. Thy word, David said, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. David understood the importance of God's word, the importance of God's precepts, the importance of God's commands, the importance of all that God had spoken to his people. He knew, and so must we all, that God's word is true. And when Jesus, remember when He was praying to the Father in John chapter 17, we see that wonderful prayer that Jesus is offering up to His Father and He says, Lord, let them be sanctified by Your Word. And He says, Your Word is truth. This book that you have in your hand is the truth of God. It is what God has conveyed to all mankind, that if they would only investigate what God has said, what God has done, what God is doing, on the behalf of anyone who would simply read it and believe it, then they would see that this way that is being described by the Lord is indeed the only way. Lastly, in that same passage, Besides saying you have little strength and that you have kept my word, it says that you have not denied my name. Oh, that's so necessary. You need to understand, every one of us needs to understand that Jesus is expecting us to recognize his deity, his authority, his position in the heavenly places as the judge of all mankind, seated at the right hand of the Father, the Son and the Father, and the Holy Spirit are one. And He is coming. And when He sets His feet on Mount Zion, He will begin His reign seated on David's throne. Those things that have all been spoken of regarding the first coming have indeed been completed just exactly as they were given by the prophets. There are hundreds of prophecies relating to the second coming of Jesus, and many in the church today say, well, I don't really believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. There are many in churches today that say, I don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are many in the church today that say, I don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. There are many who don't think that Jesus is God. They don't say that Jesus even is the Son of God. They consider Him to be perhaps maybe equal with Satan in His authority, but certainly not part of the Godhead. Do you see what is happening in the world today? There are many voices. There are many voices that are tearing people away from the Word of God, from the truth of God, and from the path that God has intended for His people. And so we stand here in this place, and I pray that every one of us understands this clearly, that what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, is so very important to the church. Stay on the narrow path. Stay on that place that Jesus has provided for all who would want to enter into fellowship with God throughout all eternity. Because if you don't, if you turn away, then you will find yourself on a wrong path, and it leads to destruction. I'm grateful that my God not only provides the way, but the Word of God tells us He walks with us. He walks beside us. He walks before us to lead the way. He's the light unto our path. And as He walks beside us, He's He's in fellowship with us. The psalmist in Psalm 66 says, "...you hold me by your right hand." He's walking right beside the believer. He's with you constantly helping you on the way. He walks behind you as your rear guard. He's described as like a hen that covers her chicks with her wing. He shelters you. He covers you in the shadow of His wing to protect you. He puts you upon that rock which is Christ, that solid rock, that sure foundation. There is no other foundation that can be laid, Paul says, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. All of these things are true. He walks before you, He's behind you, He's with you, beside you, He covers you, He's under you to hold you up, and He is always there for you. That's the benefit of being on the way. And there is no way other than that way where anyone can experience such blessing, such privilege, such honor, such grace. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but me, John 14. Ladies, you you were studying that particular portion of Scripture in your latest Bible study. And I hope that you remember the fact that Jesus has said this. And if Jesus says it, it must be true. Because He is the Word. John tells us very plainly, in the opening of his Gospel, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, And the Word was God. And it tells us also in John's Gospel there, in chapter 1, that this Word that he's speaking of is none other than Jesus Christ. So make no mistake, when Jesus talks about the gate, when Jesus talks about the way, when Jesus talks about the path that you are to be on, when He talks about the door, He's referring to Himself. And what a blessing it is to understand the beauty of all that is described in those simple comparisons that we can visualize a gate, a pathway, a door. I'm reminded elsewhere in the Scripture that that Jesus says that He is the shepherd. And in John's Gospel, chapter 10, we read these words, verse 7 and following. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And who will go in? No, he will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is saying, look, I am a shepherd, and we know him as the great shepherd. And I don't know how much you understand about sheep. And I'm not an expert on any of this except for what I've read. But the things that I've read about sheep intrigue me, and I want to share some of them with you. First of all, sheep are rather dumb animals. And to be the shepherd of dumb animals is no great benefit to him A shepherd was once asked, why do you bother shepherding sheep? They don't smell very good. They're dumb. They don't do anything right unless somebody has to lead them and guide them from all kinds of troubles. Why do you do that? And the shepherd simply said this, well, this only because I love them. That's a good answer. That's what Jesus would say. I don't do it for their benefit. I do it because I love them. But sheep are relatively dumb animals. They do need someone or something to guide them. And remember, David in the Old Testament, the shepherd, David, knew a lot about sheep. And when he wrote Psalm 23, he wrote it from the heart of a shepherd The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's equating himself to being a sheep in need of a shepherd. And the shepherd leads him to still waters. You know, a sheep, if they find water, will go to it and drink. And if it's a rushing river, it doesn't matter to them, it's water. And they don't really pay attention to the fact that the river's running so fast that if they step into it, they'll be washed away. And others will follow after them. They don't understand these things. They don't really have a sense of reason. Oh, that's not a good place for me to go. But the shepherd leads them besides still waters. That's an important aspect of what the shepherd does. The shepherd also will bring them into a safe place to rest. And when you think about what Jesus has said about himself being the door... Being the gate, being the way, being a shepherd, the great shepherd, he's using those symbols to show us that there is a dependency that we have upon him. And if we place our trust in him, we will find safety, we will find rest. It's interesting to note that even in the Middle East today, shepherds typically will bring their flocks into a court area that is either man-made with rocks, forming a fence barrier, or just natural limestone in that country where there are many places where they can actually find a place of rest, and usually those places have a gate. And it's a very narrow gate. Sound familiar with the story that we've just been looking at in Matthew's Gospel? It should, because that's what Jesus is describing The typical gate of a flock's shelter is narrow. It is going to allow sheep to go through mostly one or two at a time at best. Once they're entered into that, the door is shut. But Jesus says, I am the door. And guess what Jesus is saying when they're all in to safety? I'm going to place myself at the gate as the door so that no enemy can come in to attack the sheep. And no no sheep can escape if they were to go out. inadvertently they would go out and get lost. And that's another part of the story that Jesus also tells. If I have one out of a hundred that gets lost, I'm going to go get that one and bring him back safely into the fold. Jesus does not intend to lose anyone. He keeps his sheep. He protects his sheep. He carries his sheep. Like the... Illustration on this beautiful window that we have here in this church. He loves His sheep. He is the way. He is the door. He is the great shepherd. He's the gate. Back in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, Verse 14 again says, because of narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. Now, some of your translations may not say difficult, but the word in the original Greek does mean difficult or confined. And the implication is, it's not an easy way. There may be places in that way that will cause the sheep to fall, to stumble to stop in their tracks and wonder, what's next? What's going to happen? How am I going to get through this? And the only explanation that we have is that Jesus goes before us, helping us in those times of difficulty, and brings us through them. All of these things are so very important for us as believers, especially in the world in which we are living, because these are troubled times. What amazes me, again, is that all those who are on this particular path are not necessarily sheep. Think about it. Every once in a while, there appears to be opportunity for those who are wolves in sheep's clothing to enter through that gate. How do I know that? Well, it says that in the next verses. Beware of false prophets, he says in verse 15, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears fruit, good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. What's Jesus saying? He says that on that path, that narrow path that you and I are on, because we've gone through that narrow gate, there are those who have also gone down that same path but with a different mindset, with a different purpose, with a different goal in mind. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are there. Jesus gave the parable about one sowing seed. And then a short time after, Satan comes along and also shows seeds of tares, wild weeds thorn bushes, in amongst the good seed, they all sprout up. And the question is asked, do you want us to get rid of all those tares that are growing up? And Jesus' answer in that parable is, no, no, don't. They must continue to grow until they're all mature, because when they are mature, you'll be able to see what is wheat and what is tares. It will be taken care of after at the harvest. But the tares and the wheat grow together at the same time. And the tares do take up good soil that limit the nourishment that can come to the wheat. But Jesus says, it's okay, I will take care of the wheat. And in the harvest, there will be a great harvest, and that's when we'll take the tares, and once the harvest is done, they will be thrown into the fire. So the point in Jesus' parable is this, There will be those who are wolves in sheep's clothing coming into the flock and seek to devour, seek to destroy, seek to confuse, seek to discredit, seek to kill. Jesus says, You'll know them by their fruits. He gives the example Can a fig tree grow thorns? Can a thorn bush bear good fruit? No, it can't. You can recognize them, and it's our job to do so. We need discernment. I've mentioned this often, and I will continue to mention it as long as the Lord gives me breath. Please, God Almighty, in these last days, empower us with the Spirit's gift of discerning of spirit so that we might know what is right and what is wrong and go forth in that power to represent Jesus Christ in these last hours. We're on that way, and it's not an easy way. There is a certain amount of difficulty that each one of us will face whether it be trials and tribulations, whether it be confrontations with other people who don't believe as you do. You know the truth if you've studied this Word, you believe this Word, you trust in this Word, and you apply this Word in your everyday life. And when you do so, you and I, all of us, will succeed in getting to the destination that is ahead of us, eternal life. Few there be that find it, Jesus said. People of God, you are among those who are on that road. Stay on it. Continue, no matter what the enemy may put before you. Don't stop trusting God. Believe His Word and know that He will get you through it. It's His desire that you will be saved. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 10. You will be saved. But it takes trust. It takes commitment. It takes faith. You have a little strength, O Church at Philadelphia. And I'm not talking about Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, by the way. You have a little faith, O Church at Searsport. You have a little faith. And that's good. You have a little strength. And that's the strength that He gives. We all know that we are weak. Am I right? In our own flesh, we can do nothing. But with Jesus, we can do all things. Because it tells us we can do all things with Christ who strengthens us. It's His strength, not our own. The little strength that we have comes from Him. Embrace that. Live it. Enjoy the benefits of it. You have His Word. You believe His Word. You've acknowledged His Word as being truth. When the world around you says, what is truth, as Pilate did when he confronted Jesus, you don't need to worry about whether or not what you have read in this Word is real truth, absolute truth, because it absolutely is absolute truth. There is no gray area as far as God is concerned. There is black and there is white. There is no in-between. There is no other option. If Jesus says it this way, then you can't go down this path and say, well, I don't care what Jesus says about that. I'm going to enjoy this in this particular time, because I think it's the right thing for me to do, it's wrong for you to consider doing something that Jesus says is wrong. And you can't ever, ever argue that position against a holy God. Narrow is the way, the gate. Difficult is the way, but it leads to life. No other way does. Make sure that you understand. Make sure that you have a commitment to this one very, very important truth. And you'll walk into the gate that leads into eternal life. So there's a gate that begins our journey. It's narrow. You walk through it. You're on this way, this pathway. It's difficult. It's filled with all kinds of obstacles that you need to Trust in the Lord to help you beyond those things that hinder your walk. But He's a lamp unto your feet. He guides you. He makes sure that you get to that place which is your destination. And there's a gate there at the end of that path. It's a gate that enters into eternal life. And I don't care what denomination you may be a part of. I don't care what kind of shingle you hang around your neck saying, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Pentecostal, I'm a Calvary Chapel, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm an Episcopalian, I'm a Catholic. It doesn't matter. When you get through that gate, none of those shingles are going to be remaining. It'll just say, I am a child of God. Because you've made it there. You're in. It's only possible if you go that one way. You all know that. So stay on it. Trust Him through all things that may come against you. And they will. But you found the right path. There are others who haven't. And you know them. They're members of your family. They're members of perhaps where you work their neighbors, their acquaintances from where you shop, the clerk that you've made friends with, the waitress at your favorite restaurant. Do they know that you're a child of God? Do they know the way? Perhaps God will lead us in situations where we stand before a person who is on the wrong path and would fill us with His Holy Spirit so that we would be bold to say there is a narrow way that you need to be on that I can help you find. Pray for them, minister to them, and by the grace of God let the Spirit through you draw them to Himself. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who will go in in by it. Our job on this earth is to minimize that number. Let's pray.